Are we live? All right. Good morning, church. Um, Re- Rebecca, I'm going to ask you to come and and pray. Uh, we had we had a few moments of technical difficulties, but um, Pastor Bill and James and I prayed back there, and, and the Wi-Fi is back on, and we are live. So if you're joining us, we're so happy. Um, I'm so glad to see some faces in in the house today that I haven't seen in a while. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, if you don't know, this is Rebecca. She's our North Point intern, and she's going to open us up in prayer. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Well, thank you. (laughs) Lord, we just thank you that we get to be in your presence today. God, we just praise your name. We just come before you, Lord, and we just say that you are so good. You are so mighty, God. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, that you are such a good God, that you want a personal relationship with each and every one of us, God, that you care so much about us, God, that you know even the number of hairs on our head, God. You are such a personal God, so we just thank you so much, Lord, for just loving us and caring about us so much, God. Lord, we just dedicate this service to you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. This is your service, God. Lord, we just thank you for your presence, and we welcome your presence in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Children in the house today, let's give our kids a warm welcome. Children, we love you. We're glad you're here today. Amen. Our condolences to Mike and Valerie Horgan, uh, Mike's sister, uh, lost her daughter, well, I guess, last Sunday. And so we've been praying for the family, but our, our hearts are with you. We're praying with you. Um, if you're here for the first time, we welcome you and greet you. Um, Pastor Bill just received the offering. If you're a gentleman, or if you're a male, please see him after the service for so we can get some information from you. If you're a lady, uh, Juanita Rivera right here in the front, uh, please see her so we can get some contact information uh, from you as well. All right, are you ready for the word today? Oh, that wasn't too convincing. Are you ready for the... Well, you know what? Ready or not, you're going to get the word. So here we go. Here we go. Live stream. Are you ready? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, The message I'm going to share today is going to be... To me, it's it's different for me. It's a different type of a message. It's basically more of a topical message than it is more a verse-by-verse type of thing. Uh, The topic is the wedding. Everyone say, the wedding with me to Revelation uh, chapter 19. We're going to start reading at verse number 5, and then we're going to get into this message about the wedding, because the bridegroom cometh, and we better be ready for the wedding when the bridegroom cometh. So Revelation uh, chapter 19, starting at verse number 5. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God. All you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are these things, uh, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. So, Lord God, thank you for this 
powerful passage in the book of Revelation. We pray, Lord, that we would get all the insights, all the wisdom and knowledge we can get from this message today to get ready for when the bridegroom comes and when the marriage supper is totally ready for us. We pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit to come. Anoint me that I may share the things you put on my heart with clarity and with conviction. Lord, may it be received by everybody in this room, by everyone watching by live stream. May we all be better for this message today. May we all be better equipped for the battles we face and for the the love that we wait to to see appearing in the clouds, the Lord Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for this. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the last couple of weeks, uh, if you've if you've been uh, paying attention, uh, which I know that you have, you, we've been talking about the, the second coming, the return of the Lord and the rapture of the, the, of the saints. Uh, two weeks ago, the message was entitled, The Bridegroom Cometh, from Matthew 25. Last week was uh, the title, Soon and Very Soon, from 1 Thessalonians 4. And today I want to speak on the topic of the wedding and I will tell you up front that a lot of the information, uh, not all of it, but a lot of it will be, has been derived from a very uh, powerful documentary film uh, teaching that I saw this week called Before the Wrath. It's by Ingenuity Films. What they did was they got a group of archaeologists, uh, eschatologists, uh, theologians, and pastors and began to think about the whole concept of the wedding. In fact, I was so impressed by this teaching, uh, we're going to set aside Friday night, October the 2nd. So that, that's a week from this Friday, October the 2nd at 7 o'clock. We're going to show the video, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to get together anyway during our prayer and fasting time. So October the 2nd will be the time to do that. I'd give maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours to the whole thing. So October 2nd at 7 o'clock we'll start. So in, in Revelation 19... Uh, We have a glimpse into the future. John is receiving a revelation uh, from the Holy Spirit, obviously. And it says in verse number 5, a voice came from the throne and started saying things. And so the question is, who who is that voice? Uh, If you you were were to go back to uh, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, it could be the angels, it could be the 24 elders, it could be other saints. I personally believe that an angel was speaking to John. But what the angel was saying was... uh, uh, to give praise, praise to God, all you servants uh, and those who fear him, both small and great. In other words, everyone give praise unto the Lord. And he says in verse number six, I heard the sound of like mighty waters or mighty rivers and the sound of thunderings. Picture uh, Gillette Stadium on well, last year during a Sunday afternoon when the crowd was making a huge noise. All you could hear was, Well, it was something like that, except magnified about a hundred times or a thousand times. But he's hearing this sound of voices, and it just sounds like waters and thunderings. And they were saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And in verse number seven, he says, he hears the angel say, "Let, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. And it was... To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There's some imagery here. And then he says in verse number 9, write this down, John, write this down. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. 
So this, this little passage emphasizes two things to me. One is the importance of giving the invitation. Come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We call that evangelism. Give out the message. Invite someone to receive Christ into their lives. And the second part of it is equally important too. The, the receiving of the invitation, we call that salvation. So the Lord has given to the church this grave responsibility to invite others to the banquet and to receive them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the last two Sundays we've been talking about this and we learned a lot of, a lot of things during this time. I think we, we learned that um, the co- second coming of the Lord is definitely going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. If we begin to set dates, we'll be wrong because nobody knows. Only the Father knows. But we're, in, we're instructed to be ready. We believe that He's coming soon. Soon and very soon. And during this whole time of the church age, from Acts chapter 2 until today, three things have basically stood the test of time. They are the cross, the resurrection or the empty tomb, and the second coming or the trumpet sound. Those three issues are paramount to the church. And you can't have number one and two without number three. And you can have number two and three without number one and vice versa. These three topics are paramount to our walk with the Lord. Unfortunately, many churches don't want to talk about number three, the second coming. They're afraid that they'll be termed fanatical or strange or weird or paranoid. But I I like what the Catholic Church says every time they have a Mass. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Hallelujah. We Pentecostals say He's coming any time now, soon and very soon. And before Andre Crouch wrote that song in the 70s, A great church, a great uh, hymn of the church was, We shall see the king. We shall see the king. We shall see the king when he comes. He's coming in glory, coming in power, all hail the blessed hour. We shall see the king when he comes. So this topic has been around since Jesus ascended into heaven. And the angel said, Why are you looking at him like that? Don't you know the same way he went up, he's going to come back down again. So I shared on Wednesday night that whenever we study the Word and prepare to to teach the Word, and especially eschatology, the study of the last days, we have to be so careful to consider the full counsel of the Word of God. Not just one or two passages, but many passages. And we have to pay attention to detail. And we also have to pay attention to the cultural norms of that time. Because some things were said that were relative to that culture, and we may not know what that was. For instance, when Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. I I don't know about you, but that didn't mean a whole lot to me. I had to study it, get the research, and find out what it meant. So I had some application for it. But I want to talk just for a minute. I know we did this a few weeks ago. I want to talk about this concept of the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so when Paul says, for instance, when he says in 2 Corinthians 11, a few weeks ago, but he says to the Corinthians, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So from that we can get, we're betrothed to our God. We're betrothed to Jesus. I, I, I was always a little confused about something. 
When Joseph and Mary made their appearance in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, I was always confused because it says they were betrothed, but it also said they were husband and wife. And so I, I learned culturally when they were betrothed, they were considered husband and wife, but they didn't consummate the union yet. That's why when Mary was pregnant, it was so f- phenomenal that they weren't together yet to become pregnant. But they were betrothed, meaning they were husband and wife waiting for the ceremony to happen. So when Paul writes, I betrothed you to one husband, he's saying to the church, and the Holy Spirit is saying to us, we are betrothed to Jesus as a bridegroom. We're the wife, he's the bridegroom. Ephesians 5, verse 32. I know that you know this. If you're married, these are great scriptures, the preceding verses about a marriage between a husband and a wife. But in verse 20, uh, 32, Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery. I'm not really speaking about husbands and wives. I'm really speaking about Christ and his church. That Jesus is the husband and the church is the wife or the bride. Romans 4, I'm sorry, Romans 7, verse 4, uh, Paul writes, You have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we, should be, that we should bear fruit to God. So all through the epistles and the New Testament, we have these little analogies that we are the bride, or we're the betrothed bride waiting for the bridegroom to come back for us. In Revelation 21 and 22, we have other references to the church being the bride adorned for her husband, and the, the bride as the lamb's wife, In fact, some of the last verses in Revelation say, the spirit and the bride say, Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. So this is an important subject for the church. Uh, When I study this, I found out that many denominations won't even touch this with a 10-foot pole. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to get into it because they think that there's so much controversy about it. I say that's ridiculous. I say it's definitely in the Word of God. It was from the very beginning when Paul complimented the Corinthians and the Thessalonians for their testimony, for their turning from idols to worship the Lord, and to wait for His return. That was all part of the the package of what he was commending them for. They were waiting for the return back then. So it's all part of our theology, New Testament theology. Now, uh, the last couple of Sundays we've been referring to the Jewish wedding. Uh, and I, uh, I, I studied that this week with fervor because I wasn't sure about something and I, I didn't tell you accurately what I want to tell you right now. It has to do with the time frame that the bridegroom goes away and then comes back again. I had said that the time frame was a week. That they'd have the ceremony, or they, they would get together, he'd go away and come back at some point. No one knew when he would come back within the week for the wedding. However, when I really got into it, I realized that it wasn't a week that he was away for. It was at least a year that he was away for. So this changes the emphasis on the preparations and the emphasis on waiting for the bridegroom to return. So, let me just say something about the Galilean culture. Because I want to talk to you about a Galilean wedding, which is what Jesus... to in Matthew 25 1. Jesus was from Galilee. We know that. His apostles were from Galilee. They were called the men of Galilee. Peter was recognized 
when he betrayed the Lord by his accent, being a Galilean accent. And we know that many of the parables that Jesus spoke were were spoken from Galilee, and he used analogies that they would understand, like making you fishers of men. They were fishermen there. They were planters of the parable of the sower and the seed. They, They could relate to that. And when he talked about weddings and marriage, they knew what he was talking about. So today, I, I want to give you uh, information that I found out about a Galilean wedding. Are you with me? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk it out, and then we're going to apply some uh, scriptures that those things pertain to Jesus and the second coming. Are you with me? Okay, so here's, here's a Galilean wedding. The first thing that had to happen was, well, the couple had to fall in love. Young man, young woman. And, and the young man then developed a contract. In this contract, he would write down what he was going to do, how he was going to provide for his wife. Uh, it was basically a proposal and a pledge of love and support. And he had to present this to her, her and her father. And he had to present it, not privately, but at the, at the gate of the city where there would be witnesses to observe what was transpiring. If they, if they approved of that, you know, so far so good, the young man would then uh, take out some money that he had been saving up and give it to the girl's father as a, as a dowry of sorts. It wasn't to buy her. It wasn't that at all. It was for him to keep in a safe place if something should happen to the young man and, and, and he couldn't provide for her anymore, he would have the resources to provide for his daughter. So that had to happen. And then when that was all okay and that was acceptable, then, then the young man would get a cup. They called it the cup of joy. In the cup of joy was wine. And he gave the cup or he offered the cup to the, to the young lady. And right there, she had to make a decision. If I accept this, I'm betrothed to this gentleman. If I don't want this, I'm going to reject the cup and we'll all go home and call it a, call it a day. So let's say she, at this point, she accepts the cup and she drinks from the cup. And then she gives it back to the young man. This is all under the contract. And, and the young man then says, he drinks of the cup too. And he says, I consecrate this to the law of Moses. And I will not drink of the, of the fruit of this vine from now on until I see you again in my father's house. So the young man says this to the young lady. He drinks, and now there's a covenant. There's a contract and a covenant sealed by the drinking of that cup. The pledge has been made. The money's been given. The oath, the promise, everything is sealed by the drinking of that cup. And everything is sealed for the day to happen. So that's the contract. So they're betrothed at this point. People will refer to them as husband and wife, but they're not consummated yet. Okay, number two is the wait. So there's, there's a wait now. So he, he goes home. She goes home. And in other Jewish traditions, uh, there was always a date set when the wedding would be. But in this Galilean tradition, there was not a date set when the bridegroom would come back to get his betrothed wife. But anyway, he would go home where he lived with his father and his family, and he would begin to build an addition onto the house where he was going to live with his new bride. 
That's what they did in that culture. They built rooms onto the existing home for the addition to the family with the new bride. He built the addition. He built furniture. He built tables and whatever he needed to make it acceptable. Maybe even more than one. He may have built a couple of rooms. He also would build things for the wedding. Tables, chairs, platforms, because the husband's family had to provide for the wedding. She, on the other hand, as she was waiting, she would stay at home. And she would prepare the wedding dress and get her wedding party and do all the things that a young bride might do. She would make uh, gifts for everybody and, and uh, for the family. But she would basically be ready at any time because he was going to come back to get her. And when he came back to get her, she had to be ready and her bridesmaids had to be ready. That's where Matthew 25 comes in. Five were ready and five weren't ready. But anyway, she's preparing for this and... Uh, And uh, so she's waiting for the bridegroom to come back. And you know what? A month goes by. Two months go by. Three, five months go by. Six months go by. And nobody knows when the bridegroom is coming back. He doesn't even know. The bride doesn't know. The bride's family doesn't know. The local rabbi doesn't know. Only one person knew when the bridegroom could come back to get his bride. That was the bridegroom's father who was observing the whole thing. So he had to make sure that the room was right and the addition was right and everything was set and everything was good and, the, and her, his son loved the girl and everything was fine and the groomsmen were in play. Everything was ready. But it would take a year for that to happen. Like I said, in other Jewish weddings, they would know a date. But in Galilee, they didn't know the date. This was unique to this culture. Okay, the third thing is, so they have the contract. They have the wait going on. And while they're waiting the bridegroom would send gifts to his bride-to-be. And, and she would also give gifts back to him, but he would, he would give more gifts to her. And they were expensive, they were valuable, and the more expensive they were, the more it told her that he was really in love with her and he really wanted her to be his wife. So he would make things like jewelry or, or send her jewelry or perfume or clothes or household items, and, and, and they were really valuable. And so all through this year... He would send her gifts, and she would send him little gifts as well. Okay, number four is the return. So after all this time goes by, are you with me, everybody? All this time goes by. They don't even see each other during this time. They're they're not allowed to culturally to see each other. And, and we have some of this, you know, applied to our weddings today where the, the bridegroom is not supposed to see the bride on the day of the wedding. Well, how would you like to go a whole year and not see her? It's a far cry from that. But that's the principle where we get it from. So now the return. So when the father sees his son is good, he's got a good head on his shoulders, he did the building, he made the additions. It's a nice addition, a couple of rooms, he made all the furnishings, everything's ready. The groomsmen are good guys, they're supporting his son. And uh, he, he realizes his son is in love with this girl and everything's going to be good. And finally, they all, and finally, after all of that, one day the father wakes up and he says, Son, go get your bride. The, the thing is, it happened in the middle of the night. When he would say this. So the son had to be ready to go too at that point. So the son comes and, and he gets his groomsmen together. And the father gives the okay, go get your bride. And so they come trampsing through town in the middle of the night. And they're carrying their lanterns. And they're blowing trumpets to wake everybody up because this is a great celebration. And now he, he has got the faith that she's going to be ready. And she's got the faith 
that he's going to come back for her. But she doesn't know when. But when, she, when he comes, she hears the trumpet, she sees the, all the festivities, and she realizes, this is my day. This is it. So when he, he comes to her house, she's ready. Her, her, uh, her, uh, her bridesmaids are ready. Everyone's there waiting. They've been waiting a long time for this. Now, the groomsmen then, they came prepared with what I would call a stretcher with a chair on it. The, the name, I think it's called the leader. But they, called, they had a thing where they would hold it. You, you've seen it in movies where the bridegroom then, uh, the bride, would get on this thing and sit on it. And they'd pick her up. And, and, and you know, one here, one there. And they, they'd carry her back to his father's house. They called it flying her away to her new home. So they came. Everyone came there. The bridesmaid, the, the wedding party, the family, the friends. Everyone that was invited comes to this wonderful uh, celebration that's about to begin. And, and so then, then, then they begin the celebration. Well, the celebration is designed to last for seven days. It's a long celebration. So a lot of preparation had to go in to have food and, and everything to last for seven days. And all these people, probably anywhere from 50 to 100 people. But when they started the joyful, festive celebration, when everyone got in there, they would close the door. And nobody that was late could get in to the party. No one that had, a, like the five virgins that were not wise, they had to go get oil. It was too late for them to come into the party to celebrate. They locked the door. And thus the marriage began with all this festivity and all this joy and all the dancing and singing and eating and celebrating, and thus the marriage would begin. For seven days they would celebrate. Are you with me? So this is the Galilean wedding. So when Jesus talked about a wedding, he was talking about these principles and these concepts. I didn't know any of that. I'm not Galilean. I'm not even Jewish. You know what I mean? Most of us are not. So in order to understand this, we've got to do some research. So I did my research, and uh, this is what I found out. So let's go back now and talk about these different aspects of the Galilean wedding as it pertains to Jesus and his return. Okay? The first thing is the contract. When he wrote a proposal, he gave it to the, the girl's father. He gave him money even. But I, I have to tell you, the contract that Jesus made with us was not his money and not a written piece of paper. In, in Mark ten forty five, he gave his life as a ransom. He gave his life as a dowry. He paid for our salvation and our security by giving his life, not just the money or not just the paper. He gave his life. He went to the cross. He died and shed his blood for our salvation. That's the contract that he gave us. So in Matthew uh, 26, 29, now, now get this, at the Last Supper, Jesus, he gives, breaks the bread, this is my body, you know, take it, eat, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then he says, take this cup, this is a cup of the new covenant, in which there is remission of sins, take and drink all of you. But he says something very unusual. For us, it's not unusual because it's just something that Jesus said. But in that culture, for those Galilean men, Jesus said, take this cup. And I won't drink from this cup again until I drink it with you new in my father's house. To them, they heard wedding. They knew the language of a wedding. They knew that this was the vow that the bridegroom said to his bride when he was making a contract with her. So here's the thing. Jesus now offers us 
the cup of joy. You know, Hebrews 12, the word says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the shame and endured the cross, that we might have salvation, right? So now he offers us the cup, just like the bridegroom would offer the cup to the bride. She had to make a decision. Do I take it or do I leave it? Me? I'm taking it. I've taken the cup. I've taken the cup. And so, so we have a contract that the Lord God has made himself. He shed his blood, and it's written down, if we receive that blood, if we receive that contract, he will be faithful to keep his end of the bargain. Number two is the wait. You know we're in the waiting period now, right? But that young man at that time, what did he do while he was waiting? He was building an addition onto his father's house so that his bridegroom, his bride, could live with him in this house. Wow. So Jesus said, again, at the Last Supper, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He said in John 14, 2 and 3, he said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Just like the young man did for the, his bride, Jesus is going away to prepare a place for us. He says, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So while we, while we are waiting, he's building. And we're waiting for him to finish the building so that where he is, we can go too. And so this is wedding language in that culture, the Galilean culture. This is wedding language. But Jesus will come to get us. He will take us to where he is. In the meantime, we wait for him. We occupy. We watch and we pray until he comes back for us. Okay, the next thing is this. The gifts. The bridegroom would send gifts to his bride and demonstrate how much he loved her and cared for her. Things that she needed too, he provided for her. But as we're waiting... The Lord Jesus has given to the church many, many gifts while we wait for his return. Ephesians 4 talks very clearly. Jesus has given to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. These are gifts from God for the church, for his bride during this time. That's why I have a new appreciation for the church in the sense that God has provided so many things for the church while we wait for his return. And when our culture belittles the church, it grieves my spirit, and it should all of our spirits, because the church is so precious to the Lord. He died for his church. So he's given to the church apostles, pastors, evangelists, pastors, teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, we read, he's also given to the church the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Someone might say, well, those gifts are not for today. I say, you know what? You read 1 Corinthians 13. It says very clearly, when that which is perfect returns, when he comes back, we won't have any need for the gifts. But right now, we need all the help we could get. And these spiritual, we heard it this morning, the gift of tongues, the interpretation. That is a gift from God as we await his return. So the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'll just mention them. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, faith, 
healings, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. These are gifts from Jesus. He's given to his bride as we occupy until he comes. I would say this. How how could we be so bold as to say we don't want the gifts? That would be like the bride saying, I don't want the gifts from my my betrothed bridegroom. I'm good the way I am. See, to me, that's, that's not a healthy way. We need to, I need to receive all I can get from the Lord. I don't know about you, I need all the help I could get to make it through this life. And he's given us gifts. He's given us the word of God. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us Christian fellowship in times of worship. He's given us so much. 1 Corinthians 28, we read also, he's, he's given to the church teachers and administrators and helpers. We also see in Romans 12, 6 through 8, the grace gifts, uh, gifts given by his grace. We don't deserve any of it, but he's given to the church gifts to, to spiritual gifts and uh, service gifts that will make the church function better, teaching, serving, helping, encouraging. And so we, we are at this point in the church history where we are receiving all the help we can get as we occupy until Jesus comes back. But when the early church heard this, the Galileans in particular, they understood what Jesus was talking about, the Galilean wedding. As they exchanged their gifts, he's giving gifts to the church. And then uh, number four is his return. Hallelujah. His return. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I said it before and I'll say it again. I never really thought about it until I got into this series. But to the Corinthians and to the Thessalonians, uh, Paul commended them for their testimony that they were waiting for the second coming of Jesus. How many churches could say they're commended because they're waiting for the second coming of Jesus? In other words, they're busy, they're expecting him to come, and in the meantime, they're busy doing the things that God called them to do. So 1 Thessalonians 4 Right? The Lord will come with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who remain will be caught up together with them in the air. So we, we will ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort each other with these words. 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you a mystery. We, sh- we shall not all sleep or die, but we'll all be changed. The, the corruptible will put on incorruption, and we who are alive will be changed, will be caught up to the, with the Lord in the air. And that whole imagery of the bride being taken up on that, on that stretcher, put into a chair, being carried away, is a perfect analogy of the rapture of the church. She's being picked up and carried away to his father's house. Hallelujah. First Thessalonians 4, we won't turn to it now. We looked at it last week, but a couple of things in that passage that Paul says, the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. But he also goes on to say, but you're not going to be caught off guard because you're not people of dark, you're people of light. You're not living in the dark, you're living in the light. So the whole thief in the night thing is designed for the world. They're not going to know when he's going to come. But if you're living in the light, you can discern the times and the seasons that we live in. He says in that context, verse number 6, he says, therefore, watch and be sober. That's a good one. Watch and be sober. 
If anyone's you know, dealing with those things, you know, drinking and anything that alters our mind is not allowable, really. Watch and be sober. You need to be clear-minded to discern the times. Hallelujah. And then finally, the celebration itself. The celebration is designed for seven days, you know, the, but for us it's designed for seven years. And this is what's going to happen. Now, turn with me back in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11, verse number 18. When, when the rapture happens, when he comes and removes us out of here, praise God, we're going to heaven where there's rejoicing and, and celebration, just like in the Galilean wedding. But for those left on earth, oh my goodness, there's turmoil, there's judgment, there's the wrath of God being poured out. And so it says in Revelation 11, verse 18, the nations were angry because your wrath has come, and your wrath has come upon, the, or your time has come upon the dead, that they should be judged. This is the, this is the wrath of God during the seven-year tribulation. Middle of verse 18, but you, but that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great. So as there's judgment on the earth, there's rejoicing and rewards and blessing in heaven. That's why I don't plan on being here during that time. I'm out of here, church. We all should be out of here. The, the seven-year tribulation is not a time for the church. We'll be in glory at that point. Hallelujah. Now, as I said a week ago, there will be those that get saved during the tribulation time. And that, if that's what you want to do, more power to you. That's not my cup of tea. If I can get out now, I am gone. I'm out of here. So, so at the same time, this is what the celebration and glory, it's, it's wonderful. But on earth, it's terrible. Just like in those days, to go to the wedding party, the wedding celebration was a glorious time. But if you couldn't get in there, you felt left out. You felt devastated because you're missing out on all the joy and all the excitement. But there was no way they would open up that door to let them in. Over in chapter 19, verse, uh, verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the wife has made herself ready. Are we making ourselves ready, church? Because the day is going to come. The day is going to come. So, seven-day seven celebration on earth, a seven-year celebration in heaven, and then after the seven-year celebration comes a thousand-year reign of Christ. So, hallelujah, we went to a whole different thing there. But here, here's, here's something to think about. Everyone wants to know when he's going to come. But we don't know when he's going to come. Jesus said, only the Father knows. Even when that young man built the addition onto his father's house, it was all said and done. He might have had to wait another month or so before the father said, go get your bride. He didn't know when the father was going to give him permission to get his, his new wife over here. So it's not so much a question of when is he going to come. It's a question of why is he going to come. And when I think about why he's going to come, it gives me the idea that I need to be discerning the times. Because as much as there's all this scripture about the wedding and the second coming and all these different things, the rapture, uh, uh, there's other passages of scripture that have to do with the end times, when they will happen, when that will happen. And so 
if we, if we ask, why is he going to come? The answer to that is very simple. He's coming to get us out of here so that the wrath of God could come upon the disobedient people of the earth who rejected him. That's why he's coming. I mean, he's coming to, to fulfill his word that he's coming, but he said he's coming to get us out of here so that he could deal with the unbelievers on the earth. So when I think about why he's coming, I'm starting to look around and saying, is this the time? I don't have any doubt in my mind that he's coming. I, I'm 150, I'm, I'm sold out. He's definitely coming back. Absolutely. My question is, because is, I know why he's coming. My, my question now is, when will he come? And if I want to be like Paul and everybody else from the old days, I'm going to live my life thinking it could be today. I'm going to live my life like the bride saying, my bridegroom could come today. I better be ready. And everybody in my household better be ready because he could come today. And when the father says, go, it's going to happen. There'll be a shout, right? One Thessalonians, there'll be a shout. There'll be the voice of the archangel. There'll be the blast of the trumpet, just like in the Galilean wedding. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who remain will be caught up with the Lord in the air. So, praise God. Let me, let me conclude this by, by saying something about discerning the times. Like I said, the whole story of the rapture, it's a done deal. It's going to happen, absolutely. Pre-tribulation rapture, I'm convinced of it more than ever. And you'll get into debates with other Christians. Oh, I believe in a mid-trib, or a post-trib, or whatever. Well, I would go through the Galilean wedding for the analogies that maybe you could make. The bride is lifted up and carried out before anything happened. So how do we discern the times? Well, I don't need to tell you, but I'll tell you. (laughs) This pandemic is just crazy. Now they're talking about a second wave coming. It's just crazy. Europe has, has a second wave right now. Everything's changed in our lives. Church has changed. Um, disease, okay. The fires, the hurricanes, California had an earthquake, okay. And people would say, oh, these things have always happened. Yeah, they have always happened. But they haven't happened as often together as they're happening now. Jesus said, when the birth pains come closer together, you'll know the baby's coming, the return is coming. So when these things are happening closer and closer together, you'll know something's up. But I think about Matthew 24, 37. Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, then, so will they be when the Son of Man comes. What were the days of Noah? That's another thing. What does that mean? We have to go back and read about the days of Noah and study it. The days of Noah were characterized by wickedness and rebellion and anger and ungodliness, unholiness, sexual perversion. Everything was crazy back then. That's why God sent the flood. But as it was then, so it will be when he comes back again. And you just have to wonder, is that a sign of the times that this rapture is going to take place? It sounds like it could because now it's happening all over the world, that lifestyle. I think about what what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. We read it last week. In the last days, perilous times will come. Oh, yeah, there's always been perilous times. I'm sure parents said it in the 60s when hippies invaded the culture. You know, they were rebellious and all that stuff. And I'm sure they said it in, during World War II when, when uh, Germany and Italy and all Hitler and Mussolini rose up. I'm sure people said then, you know. But things are happening now 
worldwide in such a degree, you have to wonder, are these the last days that Paul was referring to? Paul said another thing in 1 Timothy 4. He said, in the latter times, there'll be a great falling away. People will believe deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And, you know, I never really thought about that until recently. But what I'm hearing today in our own culture, people, educated people, are are coming up with these ideas that anything goes. Everything's okay. And I really think that there's doctrines of demons. They're deceiving spirits that are influencing people. In other words, any type of sexual lifestyle is okay and permissible. I think that's a doctrine from demons. Because it's not really acceptable in God's eyes. Think about rebellion and violence and all the stuff that's going on. And people are proclaiming it and teaching it and, and, and bringing it forward and trying to pass laws for, so that this lifestyle can happen. I think, I think people are so deceived. And some people at one time may have been Christian people. We already talked about how there's been some people from, say, I think from Hillsong... Uh, some people, I forget his name, some evangelical leader, his son wrote books, good Christian books for many, many years. And now all of a sudden, these people say, they put out a statement, I no longer believe. Uh, what, I, what I wrote wasn't true. I no longer believe it anymore. There's a great falling away from the faith. But these are signs of the times when Jesus said, look for the signs, discern the times. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, 8, He said, when you hear about famines and wars and kingdom rising against kingdom and pestilences and earthquakes, all these different things, these are the beginnings of sorrows. Well, I think we're beyond the beginnings of sorrows because those things have been happening for a long time. Now they're happening in a greater degree. But throw in there some false prophets and diseases and rebellion and perversion and strange ideas and all this weird stuff going on in the world today, and you have to wonder what is going on. So all that, and I said this earlier, if I was alive, well, I would have been actually, <laughs> if I was preaching 50 years ago, which I was alive, but I wasn't preaching, <laughs> I would preach the same message. If I was alive 100 years ago, I'd preach the same message. If I was alive 1,000 years ago, I would preach the same message. Because you don't know when he's going to come. But the word is the word. If we're living in this atmosphere of expectancy, I'll tell you, it will change our lives. It will change the life of our church. It will change the life of your family. If we're really living, expecting him to come in our lifetime. And I I just feel so strongly that he's coming back. I really do. Take it for what it is. It's just my opinion. But everyone thought that. Paul thought that. So you can't, you know, you don't know. All you know is what the Word says. And what the Word says is, get ready. Be ready. Get ready and stay ready. So I want to I close with this one verse, Revelation 19, verse 7. I think it's up there on the screen. Let us be glad and rejoice. Give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. Do you, do you see the relevance of the last part of that scripture? His wife has made herself ready. We're the wife. And so we have to make sure that we're making ourselves ready. Right? So we got the contract written in blood. We're waiting. We're waiting. But we got the gifts in the meantime. His return is going to happen. 
As sure as we're sitting here, his return is going to happen, and then we'll be celebrating for those seven years. I don't want anyone to miss the party. I don't want anyone to miss the party. I want to see everybody up in the clouds when that day happens. Right? I want to, I want to have a party on the way up to the party. Woo! You know, so, so what are we saying? So now we get into, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to read our Bible and study the Bible and stay sharp. We're going to discipline ourselves. We're going to fast like we're doing this month. We're going to fast and show God, Lord, I'm serious about this. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up Facebook. Oh, I'm going to give up Instagram. I'm going to give up social media so I can get closer to God. Come on. Well, I was a little weak. Amen. But I'll take it anyway. I'll take I'll take whatever I could get at this point. So we got to get ready and we got to stay ready. You know, when you meet these old saints, look who's talking. I mean, you know, that have served the Lord for decades. They have a wisdom. And they got it down, basically. They got it down. They know what they got to do. And so they're praying, they're waiting, they're, they're kind. They're generous. They're loving. They want to be in the right frame when they hear the trumpet sound. Don't wait till you're 80. Don't wait till you're 90. You may never see it. Get it together now. Let's stand together, can we? I want to read that scripture again if we can, all together. Can we say it together? Let us be and rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Can we get it back up there? Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> I didn't hear many voices. I was thinking, that can't be the plexiglass. There we go. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. One more time. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Every head bowed for just a moment. Just want to close out in prayer. Just a, just a second. There may be some here today. There may be, be some at home watching this that have heard all this and y- your spirit is being challenged because you realize if you really give your heart to God, your life will change. But if you don't, your eternal destiny will be written in hell. And you're, you're in a, a state of flux. But I want to tell you, when you, Jesus said, when you give your life away, you receive life. And so the Lord is asking us today, will you give your life away? That, that bride and bridegroom and from Galilee, when they made that uh, contract and she took that cup, they gave their lives to each other. And I want to know if there's anybody here today that has, has come to a place in your life where you, this is between you and the Lord and maybe me, because I'll be looking to see, because I, I want to call you later. But if you, if you come to a place in your life where you recognize the fact you're at a crossroads. Now you heard this message. You can't unhear it. It's, it's, it's in you somewhere. It's in you, in your spirit. And you've got to make a decision. 
And I want to ask you, is there anyone here today or at home? If you're at home, send me an email or a text. And you want, you want me to know, you want the pastor to know, I have come to a place in my life where I believe this, that Jesus died and gave his life. He rose again, he ascended, and he's coming back in. And I want to be ready should he come back. So is there anyone here that wants to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior before we go any further from here? Just raise your hand real quick if that's you. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you over there. Praise the Lord. It's okay. I say it a lot, but Jesus said when, when a sinner repents, the angels rejoice. We might as well rejoice too. I wonder if there's anybody else that feels like you've been on the fence. You don't know if you're ready or not. All right. There you go. You want to get off the fence. You want to make a commitment to the Lord. You want to, you want to accept that contract. You want to take the cup. The cup of joy. And, and, and Jesus is offering you that cup. You want to take the cup into your heart. Anybody else with this one guy? With one brother? I want to make sure I'm right with God. All right, let's pray. Father, Lord, with these two that raised their hand for wanting to accept you, receive you, hallelujah, we rejoice. Lord, we just reaffirm, we believe in you, Lord Jesus. We believe that you came the first time. As a sinless lamb of God, you gave your life as a ransom, as a sacrifice. You, you paid for our salvation by your blood. And so, Lord, we, with these two, we receive that today. We renew that today, that contract, that covenant. We renew that covenant right now in the name of Christ. And so, Lord, we receive you, and we re- receive the promise that you're coming back again, and we want to be ready. And so, Lord, as we receive you, we're going to be ready. So, Lord, with these two, with the other gentleman that raised his hand for a recommitment to make sure, Lord, we all want to make sure. So we all renew our covenant relationship with you today. We accept you. We pledge our love to you. We ask you, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, one of the greatest gifts you gave to your church as we wait is the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we be empowered from on high with a baptism of fire and power upon our lives. Lord, may nothing rattle us. May nothing shake us or deter us from our walk with you. Fill us with your spirit, O God, that we may rightly discern the times and have power, as it says in Acts 1-8, to be a good witness for you in these days. So, Lord, thank you for this topic. Thank you for this promise. Lord, we don't know when you're coming. We just pray, Lord, we'll be ready when you do come. Lord, as far as everything else going on, we leave with you the pandemic. We leave with you the violence and the the killings going on in our country. We leave with you the fires and and the hurricanes and the flooding and everything else that's happening. We give to you the political season we're in. We just pray, Lord, that your church will arise in the midst of all of that, that your church would arise and have a, have a message to the world around us, come to the party. Come, we're invited to the marriage supper. So we pray for evangelism to go forward. We pray for salvations to come in, and we'll see your church expand even as we wait. So thank you, Lord, for this. May your blessing be upon us now. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well...